Well, next week sees the release of a new film about Māori matriarch Dame Fina Cooper and her game-changing 1975 landmark. We will encounter opposition of every kind. Rise above it. Strength comes from being united. They're here. They've come to join us. We march to be seen. We march to be heard. Not one more acre of Maori land will be stolen. The director of photography on Fina, Leon Nabi, filmed the original march and parts of that documentary are used in the movie. March near Wellington. Our reporters say the column now seems to number in excess of 4,000 people. It's been joined since early this morning by young and old, and in spite of rain, which set in late in the morning, the march's spirits are still high. Leon Nabi's previous films include Whale Rider, The Orator, Dean Spanley, and Illustrious Energy, which he directed in 1987. Leon explains how he was invited to be DOP on FINA. Well, I had a phone call out of the blue from Matthew Metcalf, the producer. I've worked with Matthew on three other films. This is the fourth film. He told me honestly what had happened and that the director, who I'd never met, James uh, Napier-Robertson, who was directing with Paula Fetter-Jones, but James uh, had worked with this Australian cinematographer and he wanted her... Unfortunately, lockdown came. They couldn't leave. They couldn't enter New Zealand. Uh, Matthews rang me and said, out of the blue, he said, I, well, I think you're sort of, maybe you're semi-retired, but would you be interested in this film? I'll send you the script. And I said, hell yeah. I said, um, I shot the documentary 45 years ago. So that footage that's in the film of, of the long lens, I mean, it was a one-hour film that Jeff Stephen directed, and it was a very low budget. We We travelled with the with the Landmarch group, and um, the film is called Tamatakiti Oatearoa, then colon, the Māori Landmarch. And you can get it, you can look at it, a high quality on your laptops. If you go NZ on screen and you put that title into it, or you put um, Fina Cooper into it, or you put Jeff Stephen into it. And, um, yeah, I worked, I did camera. I, what happened, it was a low budget. This was the very first film that, um, broadcasting as it was, because it had just broken up from being NZBC, which was radio, television, everything, and it became television, and then there was TV2 in Christchurch. And I, I'd just joined, I'd been there for one year, I think, and I knew Jeff. And um, anyway, it came up that uh, could this be a co-production, and it was the very first co-production that Jeff had organised with television. And their television contribution was the camera that I used, which was a non-reflex CP16, 16mm, and so many rolls of film, and we had to shoot on a 4 to 1 ratio. That is, the film was an hour long. We had four hours of film. So, whereas today, on digital, they shoot for hours, and the poor editors have to try and sort of sift out the the gems from it if they've got the patience and the will to sort of stick with it, because they just keep the cameras rolling all the time, and it's... So there's not the decisive moment that we had to choose. Anyway, I came along at no overtime, whatever. I was just stringing along for one month with the camera and these rolls of film. And Philip Dadson, the well-known music artist uh, performer uh, from Scratch Orchestra, um, he was the sound recordist. And we had a Nagra, and he recorded. And Gil Scrine, 
who was the editor and a good friend of them both because Jeff had just recently formed Alternative Cinema Auckland. I think it was Dr Sutherland lent us his combi V-dub. So we put all the gear and all our suitcases, well, backpacks and whatever, sleeping bags, whatever, and we, um, we went up to Tahapua and we started there and we saw the start. And four weeks later, we arrived in Wellington. Yeah, we were saying, right, they're going to go over this pass, so we'd try and get a shot when they come up this way. So we'd, we'd go ahead in the, in the combi or somebody else would drop us off or we'd be leapfrogging all over the place trying to get good shots of the, of the landmarks. What's not really explained in either the documentary or in this film, Fina, is that they did to cover that in four weeks. They had to um, break up the marches into a series of groups, so they were doing it in a relay form. This is highly technical, but you know, so that the ten strongest men would would walk the fifteen or twenty kilometres, and then the, the next not so strong would walk ten, and so they managed to get this between Marae. They were covering that area, and um, anyway, uh, we filmed, and um, yeah, I think what Jeff taught me, uh, because he was a stills photographer essentially before he got into film, and um, he taught me the power of the wide shot. Although at, in that time it wasn't so because most TVs were only at the most 21 inches or something. But now with these giant screens, you see the power of the wide shot and how it can sustain and how the audience can um, enter into that frame and uh, have the feeling that they're there. Anyway, um, so a mixture of close-ups and wide shots. and we, But having film and on this 4 to 1 ratio, we had to be very selective. Like You couldn't go 10 times. You had to be once and... Yeah, and just do the odd interview. And and Jeff, with his structure of that film, um, lets the audience uh, put two and two together. There's no, um, as most television documentaries are now, unfortunately, they bridge everything and and feed the audience with every verbal whatevers, which are quite obviously seen all the time. We tried to show the film in a poetic way that's visual and the audience can put their head together and sort it out. What what are your memories of those who were on the march and their reaction to those of you filming it? I mean, the march was about attention, wasn't it? It was about, you know, wanting to to rattle the the cages. Mm. So what was the report? Well, at times, well, we were, at times, I suppose, some some of the members who had just come on the march just saw us as being Pākehā media. Uh, they didn't realise that we'd been there from the start. And I remember there were times, that, you know, quite volatile, um, sort of saying, no, you can't film this or that, because, but we'd say who we are. And we, what was amazing about um, Te Ropo or Te Matakiti was the, um, the dynamic diversity. I mean, we had farmers and we had right wing conservative, we had left wing, we had communist, we had highly skilled people from the army, from left wing organisations. It was a whole cluster and that community managed to get together and they saw the worth and that struggle to, to put everything out there for the you know, to say they don't want to lose one more acre. Yeah. What were your so, memories then of Dame Fina? Uh she she was um, fabulous, especially at uh, Tikawiti on the Tikawiti Marae, and that's in the film. 
and uh, when she's speaking. And, uh, and I said, Holly Tufari was behind me because we said to Holly, uh, just tell us when, because she's speaking in Tereo, tell me which of the parts to go, because I'm not versant in Tereo. But to me, I, in the end, uh, he would always tap me, and I would oh, well, we've missed that bit, you know, because it was too late. So uh, I'd just ride the moment, and that's what you have to do. you just got to, every time you film with acting, you may not understand all the verbal or whatever, you just go with your intuition. You go with your gut. And um, we managed to get it, her speaking on the marae, and that was when they were signing the evening that they signed. the um, Well, some of the chiefs, they were signing all the time. We stayed on marae. There were about 30 marae all the way down. And uh, we stayed on most of those evenings with them. And, um, yeah, a couple of times we'd... Maybe t- go, one of us would maybe sleep in the in the combi if we wanted a bit more quieter. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was good. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me culturally. It was yeah. Yeah, and so. I imagine I imagine those involved with the making of Fina, though, knowing that in that moment, you know, that speech you were talking about, the fact that you had been there at the time to see it. Did you talk to the mm. to the actors, to the director? Well, you know, did that were they oh, really yeah, hungry yeah. to know what it was like? Oh yeah. Respect? Uh, well, every now and again, I was telling them that. I'd, well, the film was available for all the crew members because Jeff had got it uh, transferred in a, in, a, in a very good, high quality. So, um, yeah, all the crew were, and, and everyone was you know, told to go and watch this and just, and obviously all costumes and designers and whatever were, were looking at this sort of thing. It's that real sense of responsibility, Leon, isn't it? Because you've worked, you know, in documentary, as you say, uh, and you've worked in fictional stories and you have a freedom when it comes to that. But gosh, when you're honouring somebody so important, so respected mm. as Dame mm. Fina Cooper, I imagine that all of you felt that during the filming mm. process, right? Yes, yes. Yes, we did. Well, people go and see the film. She, she was a dynamic. We, we think James and Paula have, have done a um, magnificent uh, job in terms of a, the naturalism, which also I tried to achieve in, in the sense of lighting you've got to get the audience to maybe look harder. Oh, I can see her eyes. I can just see her eyes. Oh, no. So they're, they're actually not... We're not giving it to them on a plate. They've got to work. The audience has to work. And and sometimes they've structured the story. So so this character, like, for instance, the um, the father and the daughter of 18, played by Teoriori and, and Wayne, and then uh, we graduate to Miriama becomes takes over the teoriori, but James is still there as an older man with a grey beard. So we, we overlap the characters as they age and yeah. But but the story is not linear. It's the story's triggered from the memories, if you like, of Fina and her memory of the struggles she's gone through personally with her passion for her husbands and um, their deaths and, and the family and the division within the community that, that her yeah, very vital and, and decisive <laughs> and sometimes somebody would say pig-headed you know she would go her way and uh, there'd be wouldn't be this consensus in there but you've got to work on it but it's a great history piece for New Zealanders to see. So what were some of the challenges then Leon that this threw your your way as DOP? Well always it's the the budget, <laughs> working within the time schedule and what you'd like to do and um we had to shoot most of it in the West Auckland uh, area and, uh, and finding fantastic uh, locations and making it look, to some extent, in the grading at the end, maybe making it look slightly more like up north. 
And then we did go up north and we filmed in Pangaroo and around the Hokianga. Uh, that's where most of the story takes place. Uh, and also we filmed in Waitangi. And one of the bigger challenges was filming actually in the treasure of the the marae, the national marae at, at Waitangi. Um, and, and not to show it all. Like not we, They didn't have electricity. They didn't just turn the lights on. They had to go in with one lantern. So we wanted it to look cave-like and dark. So you can't see all that, but you just get it. Oh, there's um, carvings back there in the background, but she's right there by the by the pole at the front, and um, that was one of the more challenging shots because we had to have a crane arm with a remote head that would go in there because we didn't have Steadicam. It was just little things. If only I'd had Steadicam, we could have done it. But I didn't. And it's all a cost factor, and blah, blah, blah. so it goes on. Anyway, <laughs> there are regrets, but I have no regrets over that shot in the end, which we got, which was superb. But, um, yeah, I suppose it is, it's time, really. Time is the, um, to have pre-production time, to have time to weave this or make, make that and all the, the wonderful costumes that Kristen got together. And acres, I mean, literally, if you can imagine a tennis court full of clothing. Really? And, and there'd, be, there'd be racks of um, hand-woven garments on that side, woolly jerseys jerseys from the 1940s because she was going 100 years the film starts in 1895 and ends when Fina is just before her death when she was 98 so um, yeah and there's all the emotional thing of what colour looks good or what weave or what texture and did she wear that and there's photo references of course and colours and her favourite jewellery the jewellery that she she wore that was um, given to her and um, and the actors took this on, and um, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. It's all, well, it's all well, coming that back. Through, that um, comes through in the film, though. I mean, to me, yeah. uh, and I wondered as a as a DOP, you know, when you're you're responsible for making sure you get the shots, but there must be moments where you get lost in the in the moment, you know, lost in the emotion of the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I used to more so when I was. Um, I didn't operate on this one. A lot of the last, in the last 10, 15 years, I have been operating, and I love, I love operating because you do, you literally get so engaged with what the performer's doing and you decide to move forward or you, you signal with your little finger and the, and the grip, in this case it was Tommy Parks, would just push you in a bit more or something, you know, on a dolly or if you're handheld, whatever, you can move. You've seen it ten times and you've read it a hundred times or whatever and you, you're just going with the flow of that person, the physicality of that person. And, um, yeah, I, I, you do get lost in it sometimes and that's, um, yeah... I mean, technically, I guess I should ask you for the definition of a um, director of photography. You know, we see it. Um, yeah. And, and I, I guess for every film, it's a little bit different in terms of responsibilities. Yeah. But for this, for Fina, what, what effectively was your role? Well, it's a funny thing. People say director of photography. I hate that term. I don't like it. Um, it's an Americanism that when, when the directors just talk to the actors and there was a person there filming. and I prefer the German one, which is camera. <laughs> and... Um, Anyway, I, I like cinematographer. But um, basically you're in charge of everything you see on the screen. That means, does the camera move? Is it a long lens? Is it a wide lens? Does it move forward or backwards? Now, of course, the directors will say, we want this. So I have to work in. And in this case, James had a very strong sense of the technical aspect. Paula had this wonderful sense of naturalism. 
especially from the female point of view, which was so important. And they integrated their feelings together and would meet together. And I, I was, in this case, because I had two operators, Bevan and George uh, were, were operating, and I would have two monitors with these images on the screen or two images there, and I had these aperture controls. So I can control each camera as they are moving around, and as it gets lighter or darker, I will adjust the aperture, and I've got waveform monitors, and I can see where it is, where I'm peaking, where my blacks are, and all that stuff. So I'm looking at all this technical garbage, and then I've got this thing on my head, earphones, and I'm talking maybe to Bevan or to George, uh, go slightly to the left or whatever, or the director will be shouting at me telling them to do that. <laughs> so it's a, it's a whole, and we're in a black tent, you see, because we've got high-definition monitors, so we've got to see... What we see is what we see, what you'll get up on the screen. It's absolutely high, you know, 4K stuff that we're looking at all the time. So that's what you do, and, uh, and you sometimes take a copy of that home and you can review it or think about this or that in regard to what you're going to shoot the next day and all that sort of thing. So, but it's mainly in the planning, the, um, so many six weeks or eight weeks, I forget what it was, and you're visiting locations, and that's the alternative locations and where the windows are, or maybe... And Shane Radford was the production designer, and I've worked with him on 1,000 Ropes and also Reign of the Children, and he was wonderful. And we, we um, yeah, we talk about, oh, can we put a window in there, maybe if they're designing this, or that sort of texture here, and we'd do this. And, um, yeah, so it's an understanding of lenses, how close the camera is from the... From the uh, the actor? Do you want the audience to feel like you're breathing the same air as that person? Or do you want to be flattened and way back on a long lens where they're distant and cold and flattened? So that, that, that's the emotional thing you're dealing with all the time. Is it, is it front light? Is it back light? Do you just peek the eyes? Do you let it go into the shadow? Do you want it just a little slash of light on the chin? Not on the nose, but on the chin or take that gamble that she's going to move this way and she's going to move that way. You can't control these things, but you can just offer some natural flashes of light there. I didn't want it to be lit, you know, strong, backlit, frontlit, you know. My crew, the focus puller, Pete Cunningham, I've worked with him since 96, 1996, on a number of films. Technically, these people... They are just so superb, and they have a feeling for it, you know. He's dealing with, say one inch or two inches of focus on a moving subject and the cameraman, Bevan, is walking backwards, handheld and Rena Owen is, say like, two feet away from him and as she moves, her body moves and Bevan is trying to maintain that dynamic and Pete is on a remote focus screen black over his head so he can see and he's looking at this little monitor and trying to juggle this one inch of focus. And they have feelings, too, about the performance and how this person was going. And I've worked with him on 1,000 ropes when we were shooting at 1.4 with, um, yeah, some dynamic low-light stuff. Blair Teasdale did a wonderful lighting job. And Tommy Park, I think I've told you, he was my grip, and all the crew. I was just thinking about some of the, some of the landscape <laughs> shots. I mean, really, Aotearoa lives up to its name in this film, doesn't it, at moments, the land of the long white cloud, some beautiful landscape yeah. shots. But yeah. you mentioned yeah. now you're on digital. Can you... I know light used to be really difficult for film. You know, our light is really tricky anyway. Yes. But if you're trying yes. to get some landscape shots in the sun or the, the weather doesn't... Mm. 
play ball, it, it yes. could be very expensive and time-consuming. What happens mm. now? I mean, how much correction, or, or do you still like to try and get the shot in the moment? Or at the back of mm. your mind going, well, the light might not be quite right, but we can fix yeah. that in post, right? Sometimes you can, and some, and sometimes we say that, but uh, and then you run out of time in post, or you can't afford it in post, or there's not the image to replace those clouds and all that sort of thing. You try to, but um, no. In this case, uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of moody stuff, and then we we had allocated, um, I think it was a week up in the Hokianga, and to go back to Pangaru and go back to some of the areas, <clears throat> and I went up to Mitimiti, and but it was <laughs> that week we. You know, you plan and you book and da da da, get the cameras and everything. And it was spectacularly sunny, boring, you know, beautiful weather. We didn't want that. We wanted rough, rainy clouds. We wanted to, there were specific shots. I wanted to see rain falling in the distance, you know, like big clouds, grey clouds. And we wanted mood. And uh, so we had these sunny shots. So for me, it was frustrating. We, we in, the, in the end, you go for the. Um, you either go for dawn or dusk and, and try and get some interesting lights with different angles of the sun. But, yes, we did film up there, up in the Hokianga. We've got a, a rather spectacular sort of sunset-y thing where you can see the land overlapping each other. And I'm constantly thinking of Colin McCann, who was one of my teachers at Elam, and, and um, his view of the Northland panels and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so... Um, it it was spectacular and going out to Miti Miti and, and getting some shots out there. And which we were also shooting in some ways, trying to get landscapes to put which images and posts they, um, with the technical crew, they were able to, um, the visual effects. We had all these extras out at Onihunga against green screens and um, with as if they were on the land march. And that was taken and put into the landscape that we'd filmed. Yeah, so several of those are wider shots that we actually took up north and we were saying that they were meant to be sort of shots on en route to Wellington. Anyway, no, but they are, spect- they are spectacularly New Zealand in their landscape uh, and, and people say, where the hell's that? Because nobody's been up there at, at Whangapai, uh, up north, North Hokianga and other areas like that. I just think actually that those land shots are particularly important because this is Fina's story, but of course she was all about fighting to retain the land, to not lose another scrap. So the, yes. the shots of the land, I think they're a, a central mm. character in the film, right? They are, they are, yes. And and where we filmed the start, which we were saying was Tahapua on the road, the dusty road, where it's metal, dusty, um, loose metal road. And we found a spectacular place at Windy Tops or Windy Hill Road, just to the slightly west off the road that goes to Mitimiti, North Hokianga, west of Pangaru, and um, there's a spectacular hill, which is one of the, I'm not sure it was actually Mount Pangaru, it was the one next to it, and I can't remember its name, and uh, so we were able to get a spectacular view there, but it had this winding, rather than a sort of straight boring road, it was a winding, meandering road, which we refer to later when she remembers when she was with her husband and they were escaping from the community hall when she had revealed to the community that she was pregnant with another man's baby, and um, they all erupted, and it became a quite a um, um, almost a violent scene. And they, we we see the car going on that same journey on that same road. You know, it was dusky, but it was not quite the same. But it was yeah. But um, yeah, the land is very much part of it, and sometimes we had to scrub out and post. You know these pine trees or those things or that 
that repeater station or that telegraph pole and these wires going through the back of Fina. We said, oh, we'll, we'll fix that in post, and we did. This sounds very personal, and that, that connection of 45 years ago with the documentary. Mm. When you were merging, I always thought this was interesting, actually, because it's not uncommon now to merge material from the you know, film from the period into yes. something now. And I think we go with it. You know, you don't have to try and make it look no. the same. You know, the, the colours no. even can be different. We, we'll yes. go with it, won't we? We'll just, yes. you know, appreciate yes. that that was the moment. Yes. Well, in the film, you'll see that there, there are, I think it's two shots from the bridge when they came over the bridge in, in 75. And I've filmed them both on the end of a Angelo lens on a tripod and they're coming down because it's not explained at all but for those people who don't remember or didn't participate in it they started to walk up the bridge and the bridge started rocking so they all had to stop and they had to break into into groups of 200 and let them go and then let another group go so that's why they staggered them because they were scared the whole bridge was going to collapse with the vibration so you can see them coming down in groups coming down then I, I tilt down and we can see the, um, the, the Pofenua flag and, and uh, they're all there. And then there's another shot I repositioned round and also got on my long lens of them coming in. So that, that happened and um, it, w- it was, you know, 16 millimeter film that was shot on a one three three ratio. That's almost square television, the old television square box. So we took the middle out of that because we blew it up and took that middle frame because we were shooting... 239, which is, you know, widescreen. So these numbers mean um, the 1 is the height and the 2 and a 39, 2.4 basically, is you do um, 2 and uh, 0.4 across. And that's, that's the dynamic, that's your frame. So we took that slice out the middle and uh, that's blown up to the big, big screen. And um, I think they were able to slightly... Resolve, degrain it, take the grain out because it was noticeably grainy, and it sits there quite nice. It does wobble a bit, but it, it's old film. We accept that. Yeah, there's nothing, not that we wanted it to look like HD or, or 4K or anything, but yeah, so it's there. It sits there nicely. And, and at the end of the film, when they get to Wellington, there's the material that I did on the street. Uh, I don't know which street that was, down. And then the entranceway uh, at, at Parliament, and and Jeff was on a um, a Bolex ten millimeter, and he was filming uh, simultaneously, and he shot the faces of all the people looking, and then I, I got the close up of Fina crying. Yeah, it's grainy, but it's pretty pretty ama- amazing. You can still see. We didn't want it looking totally uh, noisy, noisy, so it's sitting there nicely, and um, the people at Images and Sound did a wonderful job as did Alana with the grading, yeah. I'm so pleased you did that rather than using, you know, the special effects that can create armies, you know what I mean? It, it yes. could have been recreated in some way. I know on the budget yes. it would have been, you I know, know, CGI. That would have been well, a travesty, wouldn't it, when you have the actual yeah. moments, right? Well, that's, I was, I was quite forceful to the producers and that I said, this is what you've got to do, save yourself so half a million dollars maybe, I don't know, <laughs> to dr- try and do that. And then we had... Um, a violent weather came in, and it was so we decided, no, we're not going to try and do that. Let's go with the footage, and it's there. And it actually, the weight, the gravity of that situation, yeah, it just adds something. It 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 does add an enormous amount. 
So the relationship with the director must be really important. And I imagine over the mm. years you've had some directors who have a really good understanding of yes. some of the things you're talking about and others yes. who perhaps have said, Leon, I trust you. <laughs> I need to concentrate on this. I'm going to uh, leave it up to you, right? Uh, yeah, most of them have a really good understanding of it. Um, I, I suppose the, the largest dynamic range, if you like, was working with Tol Fraser from his very first film. He'd never done a film before, on number two, or naming number two. And then go to uh, Dean Spanley and then Giselle and then The Deadlands. So that was four features. And after the fourth one, you know, we had a really good understanding. We'd worked together and, and he had very strong visual ideas that he had developed in his own way, which was fantastic to see that growth. Whereas on number two, a lot of it was me. And, and he had storyboarded certain sequences. But, yeah, it was, he, he took a lot of... Um, guidance from in, in terms of how we're going to cover to cover a scene because and of course Chris Plummer was the editor of that film as he was on on uh, Dean Spanley which um, a marvellous editor and he, he also worked with us on uh, on this film too on Fina. Well can I ask you I, I think I mean we started by saying uh, that Matthew thought he was perhaps taking you out of um, semi-retirement so what are you working on any other films at the moment? Yes, I can't mention their titles, but there are two films I'm, I'm familiar with their scripts. That's all I want to say, but I, and I'm very eager to work on them. And I, it was on the very, very last day, we did a pick-up, pick-up months after when they were editing, and um, and uh, I got back into it again. I operated the second camera, and I, oh, I just felt, oh, I love this. <laughs> anyway, but I love olive, olive work. I've got an olive grove, you see. I pick olives, and I make olive oil. Good and, Lord, uh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see me at the Grayland Farmer's Market every Sunday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got the um, Best in Show last year for, for our oil, and it's, um, it's a labor of love. It doesn't make sense but I, it's, it, you know, financially, but it's, um, yeah, it works out.